Business in the Okanagan Matters. This is Law Talk with lawyers Clay Williams and Tanvir Gill from FH&P Lawyers, LLP. They talk business and take your questions at podcast at fhplawyers.com. Now, here's Clay Williams. Welcome again to FH&P Lawyers Business Podcast. I'm here once again uh, with Tanvir. Hi, Tanvir. Hi, Clay. And I'm Clay Williams. I am a partner at FH&P. I do business law with Tanvir. And uh, today, we're lucky enough to have a special guest, Elvin Law, who is a tax partner at uh, Crow Mackay, who deals extensively with corporate reorganizations, transactions, estate planning, and general tax questions. So welcome, Elvin. Thanks, Clay. Happy to be here. That was a a great introduction. Oddly enough, many of my clients refer to me as just the accountant. Uh, (laughs) I'm unfortunately not the cool Ben Affleck kind, but uh, the more so commonly found meek and risk-averse kind on our our city streets. But Nonetheless, happy to be today's guest. Thanks for uh, inviting me on. Well, well, thanks for coming. And and so Tanvir and I were talking behind the scenes, and uh, what we realized was that in our previous shows, we were uh, constantly alluding to the fact that uh, we want to work with an accountant on business deals, and uh, we were constantly saying for that piece or this piece, you need to go see your accountant. And so, hey, Tadvir, we've got an accountant. Finally. (laughs) So, uh, hey, let's start peppering him with questions. Do you want to start? Yeah, sure. So we've talked extensively in our podcast about the legal reasons on why you should incorporate. Um, And we definitely want your opinion on what you think your role is when it comes to incorporation. Like Clay said, we always say to clients, do you have an accountant? Have you had accountant input? So just starting from there, what is your role when it comes to a brand new incorporation? I think from a tax and accounting perspective, one of the biggest objectives that people have when they want to incorporate is to save income tax. And so one of the first things I generally say is, Well, when you incorporate, you're not necessarily saving income tax. Normally, the bigger advantage is tax deferral. In other words, pay less now so you can pay more later, so to speak. Um, That being said, there is possibility to have tax savings, but generally it's it's tax deferral. Okay. So I have a... We like to use um, some of our own examples. Currently, I have a client who is just a very small business owner, brand new business. He has um, sort of like a video production company that he's opening up, but he is adamant on incorporating and he does not have an accountant, but he's for sure like gung-ho on incorporating. And I don't entirely see the benefit of why he needs to incorporate at this point in time with how his business is going. So is there a place, sort of a point when you say now it's time to incorporate and this is why it's beneficial for you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So outside of um, non-tax reasons, like IE business liability reasons, which I'm sure would be in your wheelhouse, right? Normally what we tend to say is to the extent you can leave money in your company to reinvest into your business, that's your, your baseline for the benefits of incorporating. Because again, it's about tax deferral, not necessarily about tax savings. And so an example would be, if I earn um, as a BC company, a BC private company, up to half a million of net income, currently you're taxed at 11% as a company. So contrast that to earning that as an individual, your average tax rate is closer to 45%. So if you're able to leave that money in the company to grow it and hire more people, which is part of the policy objective, 
that's where the real benefit comes from incorporating, being able to reinvest more capital now versus uh, paying it directly to the government. That makes sense. Yeah. You know, and, and you're right, we've talked about the legal reasons, uh, the liability reasons, uh, but so much is driven by, by tax reasons. Now, I'm gonna jump ahead a bit here and uh, ask you, are there still those tax reasons? Because, you know, for many of our followers, they've read about how Justin Trudeau was closing all these loopholes, making everybody pay their fair share. Now, you mentioned a tax rate of 11% for income up to $500,000, and I leave that money in the company. How is that money that's left in the company taxed if I put it to work buying a building and getting some kind of an income stream or I invested in, in stocks? How has that changed under Justin Trudeau? Right. So that's a really good distinction to bring up because really with um, the benefit of, of corporate tax rates, it is really geared toward putting the profits back into what we call an active business. And so Tanvir, with your, with your client example, to the extent they reinvest in growing their business, hiring more staff and those sorts of activities, they'll generally benefit from that lower tax rate. But to the extent they start buying real estate or they, uh, you know, put the money into a stock portfolio to earn passive investment income, then you start to get into areas where the beneficial tax rate begins to disappear and you're subject to a much higher tax rate in many instances up to 50% uh, of your taxable amount. So um, yeah, it, it really depends also as is, is indicated now, I guess, with the nature of what your company is doing. Yeah, it's a tougher call now, isn't it? Yeah, uh, absolutely. So in any event, uh, as Tanvir had mentioned, we, we get clients all the time coming in and saying, I've been thinking about incorporating, should I incorporate? It's just another reason that we insist you, you work with an accountant. It may not make economic sense depending on the business model anymore, I guess, at the end of the day. Yep, and, and, and I think the other thing too is, you know, historically when it came to some of the uh, the most common tax reasons for incorporating, the, the second one after tax deferral would be income splitting and um, you know having multiple family members in the same company and things of that nature one thing that's been evolving a lot oddly enough since 2015 so it's been going on for a number of years it's been a change in various parts of the tax legislation which has made income splitting in many instances um, harder to achieve it's not impossible but the government has been definitely tightening and changing the rules to uh, to stifle some of that income splitting yeah I think the your spouse needs to actually work in the business now the basic rule, isn't it? Right, yeah. So for that example there, that's one result of the amended uh, tax on split income rules. And uh, despite what's been portrayed by some of the uh, media, I'll say, the rules are quite complex. But one example there is to the extent a related party shareholder isn't very active, and that's a defined term in a particular company, they may not be eligible for their usual tax rates. They may be, you know, effectively hit with high tax rates. So mm. it's a brave new world in, <laughs> in taxation. I, li I like that term. Okay, so let's move on then. If the decision is made that it makes sense to incorporate and, uh, you know, we've worked with uh, an accountant like you who's told us, yes, this makes some sense, then we're going to move forward with an incorporation. And what I always find is that an accountant is going to want to see the, the capital structure of the company that we intend to incorporate and the number of shares that uh, that we're going to issue. And I, I just wondered if you had any comments as to why is it? What are you looking for? 
Yeah, yeah, absolutely. You know, I think some of these comments will probably overlap on with the legal side as well. But at the baseline, when we're looking at what shares to issue to particular shareholders, we're always uh, cognizant of voting entitlement, dividend entitlement, and entitlement in the circumstance where a company liquidates itself or otherwise winds up. And for, I'll say, straightforward business arrangements, often the uh, what I'll call garden variety common share, if that's a fair term. We call it um, our default structure. Default structure, right? Can accommodate many situations and, and we're just kind of there to provide a backstop. But once you have a situation where specific shareholders want specific things or certain flexibility in how they compensate themselves, that's where we start to pick and choose through the, the, the various types of shares, which you know I, I think is one great reason why uh, firms like yourselves will have a, a number of templates that provide a variety of shares for yeah. different scenarios. I think that sort of hints on why we always say get the accountant's advice prior to because us incorporating and going with a certain share structure, if it doesn't work for the company in the long term or if it doesn't work for the goals of what the business is trying to do or what that family, for example, is trying to get at, then doing a change to the share structure afterwards is not as easy as doing it right from the get-go. Yeah, and we, we try and, and have structures in place to account for what might happen down the road in terms of some kind of an estate plan and that as well. But certainly you're doing that as well and looking at a structure that includes pref shares and that type of thing, I, I take it. Absolutely, and I think the points that uh, you guys bring up about planning really hits the nail on the head. That's really the crux of being as efficient as possible to the extent you can plan ahead and, and get that structure set up right from day one. It just saves a lot of headache and saves costs down the road because you're not duplicating work over the next two or three years. Yeah, um, and those yeah. conversations with the client are important too. You know, what what do you expect that is going to happen in your business? What are you looking to do down the road so we can do a bit of planning up front as well? Yeah, it's taking a bit of a holistic approach to the incorporation, right? Not just viewing it in today's isolation. Mm-hmm. So one of the questions I get is uh, I tend to issue 120 shares in, in tranches and people say, why did you give me 120 shares and my answer is uh, it divides well (laughs) so I don't know if you have any comments on that but do you have any do you care if it's 10 shares or 100 shares or 120 you know or is is, do you have any preferences yourself generally speaking in private company contexts, especially with family enterprises we're not overly fussed about the number of shares that said that 120 that you mentioned is a bit of a golden goose it's just uh, much more easily divisible over um, a wider range of shareholders and just avoids the issue of having fractional shares, which, I don't know, just aesthetically even is a bit of a pain, I think. Mm -hmm. That makes sense. Okay, that's super informative. I think one thing that I always, I I tend to see a lot with my brand new sort of first go-around clients who are opening up new companies is they don't understand the difference between proper tax planning and a tax accountant that's structuring for them versus bookkeeping. So I want your input on this, but I have a lot of clients that are like, yeah, there's so-and-so down the road that I can use as an accountant, I guess. Oh, <laughs> you're, like, you're, so, oh. you're so right. <laughs> you're, okay, well, yes, you can, but is that what we're looking for here? So, and this is going to go for, I've had clients with multi-million dollar businesses who have Joe Blow accountant who's literally doing bookkeeping for them. And you look at how it's being structured, how it was done, and it's doesn't seem like this is the best way it could have been done. So what would you say about the difference between accountants that are going to offer you that bookkeeping and the initial incorporation advice versus tax structuring? And if I could just jump in there for a second, I I believe that accountant is not a protected 
word. Like anybody can call themselves an accountant. Do you know that? I believe that's right. Yeah. I think so, the same thing yeah. with um, financial planners too. Is, is that right? Right now. Yeah. You can be a financial planner, but you don't have the utmost distinction of being a certified financial planner. So anybody can call themselves an accountant, but that person may or may not be able to provide answers when it comes to, to tax questions. And, and, I, and I, I like what you say, because I, I, I run into that over and over yeah. again, when I say, well, I better run that past your accountant. Who's that? Oh, it's Joe Blow, my accountant. We've had accountants that will respond to my questions about allocations, for example, or something that we need to know for a business purchase or a business sale. And they're like, well, we don't know enough right now. Well, <laughs> You've been tax planning for this company for 10 years. How do you not know enough? <laughs> yeah, you know, it's a funny thing about the label accountant versus bookkeeper, um, even with the professional designation. And part of it, I, I think what it comes down to is often we say, you know, we want a quality advisor. But when you're the person receiving the advice, you don't necessarily know whether what you're hearing is quality versus not, I'll say. And so that's why sometimes a regulated industry that has designations helps provide some, some assurance that uh, you know, you're working with someone that has enough technical background to either give you the answer or to know that they don't know the answer and, and, and refer you to the, yeah. the right source for sure. As it relates to the bookkeeping versus accounting function, kind of as we just talked about, there's not really a official definition that I'm aware of. But when I think about bookkeeping, I think about it as um, the means in which we make sure that what has happened financially with a company or, or a business, unincorporated, is recorded in, in financial terms. And then with accounting, I guess maybe uh, one way to delineate that is to say, well, accountants to a certain extent can then ensure that how things are recorded, in other words, a company's financial statements, are done so in a manner that's consistent with regulatory standards. Right. So so that's how you help make sure that one set of statements is comparable to another. Then the second component, I'd say, that maybe makes an accountant an accountant is uh, their ability to be, um, again, uh, kind of a holistic advisor, that the overall business advisor and not someone who just records what happens, but helps put context to the numbers and helps provide a story. And, and as a result, can provide advice for the business itself. Every company needs a bookkeeper. But that person doesn't isn't necessarily the the accountant as in the role that you're in. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Does does Crow Mackay do bookkeeping as, as well as accounting? At we, a different price. Right. <laughs> 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 we do do some bookkeeping, and 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 it tends to be client specific. You know, I I'd maybe say generally speaking. Uh, we tend to shy away from it a bit, in part because of relative cost. And so, I mean, obviously, we're, we're, we're always happy to earn fees, but, uh, but we want to make sure our clients get value of it. And, and so as a result, generally, we would refer them to uh, obtain bookkeeping services elsewhere. So, so that's interesting then. As, as a, an accountant, as you've described it, uh, then how often are you generally meeting with your, your clients? Generally speaking, um, I'll say as much as possible. <laughs> mm -hmm. And uh, the reason why I say that, it, it kind of goes back to our earlier discussion on uh, the benefits of planning. And, uh, you know, I, I don't know why this tends to be, but it's almost like from the advisory perspective, the accountant tends to be the unpopular cousin at the Thanksgiving dinner. And so often <laughs> we're a bit of an afterthought. <laughs> And so from, from my perspective, though, there's, there's a lot of value that an accountant, just like any other you know, proper advisor, can provide. 
And so um, I think ideally uh, be meeting with your clients uh, on a periodic basis to get an update on what's happening in both their business and personal lives because that ties in the financial planning with the estate planning and and overall objectives but so, uh so more than once a year oh yeah for sure hopefully for mm-hmm. sure yeah yeah and, and and you know part of it depends on the client too some clients are happy with i'll say f- viewer touch points than than not but uh but i think it's the the role of the advisor to to make sure that uh that that's what they want versus not so i think my next question sort of stems from how often you meet with clients but in an ideal world and the life cycle of a business, where would you want to be sort of meeting with that company or brand new company? Do you want to meet at the point where they're looking at equity financing? Are you wanting to speak to them when they're looking at buying or selling a business? Are you wanting to speak with them when finally they've realized that they need estate planning? What is your ideal sort of meeting point with a company? Is it right from the get-go or is it down the road? I think ideally it'd be right from the get-go. And, uh, you know, I, I'm sure that sounds a little bit self-serving, but I think the way I'd qualify that is I feel a good advisor can be involved from the beginning, but also know when he or she is critical to that particular part of the life cycle or transaction versus when they're uh, more of a value-add option or alternatively an option that is available, but maybe not that necessary. And with that third one, it's, it's, it's really based on cost, right? Because yeah. I think at the end of the day, um, in theory, all of us can be involved all the time. Um, but in the real world, it's just not practical. Yeah. So, so one of the things that, that we do is uh, with our construction clients, we're, we're meeting people to do statutory declarations for builders' lead and holdbacks. And uh, I can't believe uh, the things that I hear when I get to meet my clients on a regular basis like that. And I think, you're doing what? You're buying what? And uh, so certainly from the legal side, I think we get to see our clients a little more, at least in the construction side. And uh, boy, the, the more you meet, the, the more helpful it is in understanding the business, the more valuable we can be so i don't think yourself it's self-serving at all so so in any event elvin thank you so much for showing up that was great i think uh, i think we've cleared up a lot of uh, why we need uh, an accountant Uh, my clients ask i don't have an accountant do i need one i'm just going to forward this podcast please (laughs) listen to this FHMP lawyers are rooted in community and ready to help. Send your business law questions to podcast at fhplawyers.com.